Titus the Titan. If you are a small child, and only if you're a small child, you can follow Anne to Children's Church. Uh, everyone else has to listen to me talk. Uh, wow, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> I all right so sermons are frequently boring this is true right um and and I'm going to own that I know I'm not always the most interesting uh have y'all ever kind of to put the other end of this can you identify in your live sermons you listened to that were life changing um where like that one message hit at the core of who you were, and just electrified you. Um, and, and I can, actually. Um, Vince Turner was a, a I, he wasn't a pastor. He, was, he worked at a Basher Children's Home, um, and he was, uh, his job related to going out and doing community relations. And Vince... Um, when I was working at the Presbyterian Church a hundred years ago, um, he came and spoke at our church during a time when we were uh, in decline, and my job as youth pastor there was sort of going away, and I was um, going to have to work part-time there and get a second job. And Vince came and talked about working at Basher. And he, he talked about the clients, and he talked about the need, and these young people who had just so much hurt and were so lost and and he said a phrase he said you know what when i stand at the gates of heaven i want them you know when i get there i want them to to lean forward and and comment that i smell like smoke and and i want to be able to proudly reply that i stood at the gates of hell and dragged children out on my way here um and that line that line i i it, it, it changed my life. I, I went and got that job as a, as a side thing, thinking that it would be sort of an extra thing while I did my youth ministry, and it became everything. And um, Which isn't to say that my job here isn't amazing and I don't love it here. I love every day I'm here. There are some days that are more fun than others. Um, but that sermon and the idea of going and serving the lepers of our culture you know, the drug addicts and the sex offenders and, and, and these violent gang members and everything else. The idea of doing that and being just a servant in that way, like, grabbed me. And I, I wanted to do that more than anything. Anybody ever had a sermon like that where, like, you just, you heard it and it was, it was, it was life-changing? Um, I actually set out to preach the text we're going to look at today one way, and we're going to go a little bit different, because as I was praying about it this morning, I realized that, that I missed the point. Um, and so hopefully, this will work. Um, we're working through the book of Acts, and we are going to look at the installation of deacons. This is officially the least interesting text in the entire book of Acts, um, but it's not. And I didn't realize until this morning that it's not. This is potentially one of the most, like, energizing bits of text. And watch this. So we're in the book of Acts, and we're in the beginning of the church. The church is, the, the book is still focused on the city of Jerusalem, 
where um, the church is growing. There are thousands and thousands of people coming to the Lord in this setting at this time. We don't know how long into the book because Luke doesn't give us months or weeks or anything like that, but we're, we're in the infancy of the church, right? And there are a lot of people. We know at this point that it's long enough that they've been able to sort of establish some systems and they've got some committees, um, which, by the way, is the great bane of all church work is committees, but if you don't have them, it's like not having bones, right? <laughs> um, like you just can't move forward without folks to get stuff done. And so like they're beginning to get things established and they're beginning to find their feet. And so like we are in the book, like they have experienced some persecution. Um, and so stuff is happening. The early church is growing. Now, this growth is not just from Jerusalem. And this is kind of neat. Um, and once I understood this, this text sort of took a different t- took a different feel to it. Now watch this. Um, the first big evangelistic sermon thingy that we encounter in the book of Acts happens um, on Pentecost, right? Which is in the middle of like a time of feasting when people from all over the empire come to visit Jerusalem. And so you've got folks from all over who've come in and like all of a sudden um, the church is this huge thing thing that is not just the Jewish folks that are hanging out at the temple every day, right? Um, in the surrounding communities and in the, the surrounding cities and throughout the city of Jerusalem, there are, um, there, there's quite a few people and, and there are people from sort of all walks of life and all personality groups. Now that's important because in ancient Israel, there were two major groups of Jewish people, right? And actually in ancient period, there were two major groups. There were sort of the more traditional Jews, right? These are people who are more, um, you know, raised in the core of Jewish stuff. And then there are these folks called the Hellenized Jews. And these are all over the world, but some of them are in Israel. And they are Jewish folks who have adopted um, sort of Greek uh, language and culture and everything else. Like they've grown in that direction. And we know actually from archaeology that in Jerusalem there were Hellenized Jewish synagogues, like in that area. And so you would have synagogues that were more traditionally Jewish, and then you had some for Hellenized Jews. And that's important, and watch this, we'll get to why in a minute. But the important thing to understand is, is you would have these Jewish folks who were a little more metropolitan, a little more worldly, had a little more culture to them, and then you had like the Jewish Jewish folks, right? Everybody with me? Now... We all know that when you get a large group of people together, seniors and young people and people middle-aged, that they all get along no matter what. Right? Because churches are full of history of people just getting along and agreeing harmoniously about everything. Right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think everybody even agreed when I said that. I saw some... (laughs) Um, the reality is that mixing these people together, there was naturally going to be some chaos, right? Watch this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, um, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Remember, these are the guys who are Jews, but they don't quite mix in with the Jewish folks, right? Um, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against Hebrews because their widows were being neglected by the daily distribution. And so here we have 
the first church fight. Ta-da! It's, and it's over food. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's probably one of the first food fights in history, too, like recorded. Where are you, man? I need you up here with the drums. Um, so um, these Hellenists. Now, I, it's hard to kind of culturally explain this, but, like, um, have any of y'all seen, like, on the news, like, the Hasidic Jewish folks? Right? Like, they, they've got the beards and the hats, which, by the way, have nothing to do with Jewish tradition in Israel. It's because of what parts of Europe they came from and what kind of hats they used to wear in that part of Europe when they came. Isn't that weird? So, like... These folks, like, they, they have their beards, and they look different, but you can stand in a crowd of Jewish folks, and you'll see some Hasidic Jewish folks, and you'll see some, like, not-so-Hasidic Jewish folks, right? You saw that in Jerusalem. You'd be wandering around, and there'd be, like, a line of people, and there'd be a handful of Hasidic folks, and there'd be some folks in fatigues wearing, you know, their uniforms and carrying machine guns. And then you'd have, like, some ordinary-looking folks, and they're all Jewish, right? And that's kind of the deal here, except for, like, probably very few of these folks carried machine guns. But I've been to some church fights where that's an arguable point. But there is a disagreement regarding the daily distribution, and this is specifically about food. And here's the deal. If there are thousands of Jewish followers of Christ, right? So you get the churches grown into the thousands. Um, if there are thousands of them, it is almost certainly the case that those thousands of people are not meeting in one location. You know why? Because houses aren't that big. Right? Like the first megachurch doesn't get built for thousands of years. Um, like it is just the case. Or probably not thousands. I guess there are probably some synagogues. Or not synagogues. Um, Catholic. What are they? Cathedrals. Thank you. That count or like whatever. But, you know, the, the long and short of it is it is very unlikely that there are houses or worship centers that support this. And so it's probably the case that they have broken into sections. Right? Um, there is, by this point in the church, a plan for the distribution of food to widows, right? So the church has been around just long enough for them to establish the first system of care within the church, which is important. You know why? Do you know who the two groups are that, that James identifies? James, who ended up being the leader of this particular church before too long, um, the two groups that are important to take care of, like this is true, pure religion that the Father accepts, to take care of orphans and widows. And so the church says, well, we're going to take care of widows. And they're distributing food, but somehow the Hellenists, their widows are being neglected. Now, there are a couple of possibilities. It might be on purpose, right? And that is the first assumption of everybody who's ever involved in a church fight. Right? Like they picked blue carpet for the sanctuary because they know I hate blue. This is against me. Right? It might be the case that the Hellenists at this point feel like it's on purpose. In all likelihood, it might be the case that you have churches beginning to crop up all over the city of Jerusalem. Right? And they just missed them. Because, amazingly enough, not everybody knows everybody else. Right? And not everybody knows everybody else's needs. And so the Hellenists come forward and they say, hey, our widows are not getting taken care of. What gives? We're going to go to the church down the road. No, they didn't say that. Um, and the twelve summoned the full members of the disciples and said, 
it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This is a be careful moment. Okay? Because this is a text that pastors love to take out of context and abuse. Want to guess how? It is not right that I do home visits or go to the hospital when I have studying and praying to do. See what I'm saying? That work is beneath me. In reality, right? In reality, what they're saying is, this is our area of work. If we begin to deal with every widow in the entire church, we will not be preaching anymore. Right? Because there are thousands of people. They're probably a little geographically distributed. We have to do this thing. And so rather than devote all our time to this, we are going to delegate. It does not, it does not mean that the disciples never dealt with food distribution. It might be the case, we don't know, it might be the case that the disciples were handling the food distribution, and that's why they came to them. We don't know, because the text just doesn't tell us. Um, however, these are guys who walked and talked and were taught by Jesus, who said, um, if you want to be the greatest amongst us, you must be the servant of all, the least of these. Um, you're not like the Gentiles who lord position over each other. Um, the servant, Right? And then Jesus demonstrated what it was to be a servant by washing his disciples' feet. I do not believe the disciples forgot all of that the moment the Holy Spirit came on them. Can we agree this is probably the truth? Instead, they said, guys, we got important work to do. We can't devote all our time to this. Let's delegate. And so I love that phrase, to serve tables. I sort of think it's a... Um, um, probably a figure of speech, although it might be the case that it's a reference to the daily gathering to eat together, which was a thing that the church did. Um, not really clear. Anyway, so we have to do our job. We can't do all of this. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute. Pause here. Seven is not significant. Okay? We have a deacon board of... Seven, but I think it used to be smaller, and sometimes it is definitely smaller. Um, it is not a standard by which we're to operate. So if you read that and you're like, oh, well, churches are supposed to have seven. No, they're not. Seven is just the number they use here. Um, among you, seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we, who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now watch this. They're about to pick out the first deacon board, the very first in a long tradition of deacon boards. Um, they had the church select them, and then they like sort of approved it, and this is a thing that they did. And their job was going to be to take care of the daily needs of the church. Now, anybody, like I know some of you all have read the book of Acts um, at some point or are vaguely familiar with it. You know how many scenes... Luke describes of these guys waiting tables? Anyone? How many chapters are devoted to the deacons waiting tables? 
absolutely none. Not a one. It is never mentioned again. But the deacons are remembered. And they get mentioned again. And you know what they're doing? Preaching, teaching, ministering. You know why? Because that's not their only job. Because we serve and we teach. We grow spiritually and we serve. We do the jobs we're supposed to do and we go and do the other jobs, right? The reality is that the church as God designed it is like supposed to be where everybody does parts, but everybody is a part of teaching. Everybody is a part of preaching, sharing the word. Everybody is a part of this. Um, And it's easy to miss that, and I really want to emphasize it. Um, It's easy to lose sight of it and say, oh, well, we hired a pastor to do that. Anybody ever heard that? That's sort of like a, a, almost a, a refrain or a chorus in congregationalist churches. I don't have to preach the gospel. I don't have to make disciples because I pay Eric to do it. Not all of them pay me to do it. Don't worry. Only working for you guys. <laughs> um, but there's this idea sometimes, or during the megachurch movement in the 90s and in 2000s, there was, a, there was this idea that the pastor is the CEO, and he doesn't lower himself to do all, those, all those other things. In reality, that's two ends of the same, uh, the same stick, honestly. It's just garbage. Like, it's not what it is. We are all called to do these jobs. We are all called to minister. We're all called to share the gospel or to give testimony when the opportunity arises. We're all called to wash the feet of the folks around us. There's actually a great, great um, illustration I have on this. Uh, There's a guy, Jocko Willenick. Have any of y'all heard of this guy? Great podcast. Uh, He is a former uh, Navy SEAL. He was like the head of SEAL Team 6 for a while or something like that. He was, you know, like the boss of the Navy SEALs. And he talked about um, this, this talk he did with the support staff at, a, at an outpost he worked at. And he gathered up all the support staff and he said, listen, guys, um, the soldiers are going to come in and if you are sitting at a table eating and you see a soldier come in, you get up, you know, a, a rifle carrier, you get up and you give them your spot. If you see them done eating, you get their tray and you put it up. You see them, like, waiting for the shower. You get out of line and get behind them. You know why? Because that guy is going to go out and get shot at. Our success is dependent on on that soldier, on that rifle carrier succeeding. And so if they need rest, if they need to eat, if they need a few more seconds to, to sit, if they need whatever, you take care of it. Because you are support staff, and your job is to take care of them. Now... If we apply this to the church, all of you are the soldiers, and all of you are the support staff. And so if you see the guy next to you and you can do something to show him grace, what Paul tells us is consider the needs of those around you more important than your own, or try to outdo each other in showing your brother's honor. Could you imagine a church like that where folks backed up and said, I'm going to outdo you in showing honor. That'd be cool. 
right? It would be. It would be amazing. Because our job, every one of us is a rifle carrier. You know, I may not march in the infantry. I may not ride in the cavalry. I may not fly over the enemy. But we're all in the Lord's army. As the poet says. I can't believe I didn't get more of a reaction to that. I, you guys are horrible. All of you. I love you. It, we sing it in good, good News Club like once a week. Okay, so. I, that, uh, whose job is it to press the button? <laughs> the reality is, guys, everyone around you, even if they're saying, well, look, I don't know about the scriptures enough that I could talk about them with anyone, then one of us needs to be teaching them, Right? Pick up the tray and take it so that they can learn. One of us needs to be challenging them or encouraging them. The reality is I have, I've had three conversations in the last two months. Watch this. Three conversations in the last two months with people who had significant things happening where I called them up and I said, hey, I just wanted to check in. They said, you know, you're the only one from the church who did that. But I have at least one person in this church who will regularly call me and say, hey, I'm calling these people. Is there anything I need to know? Or I'm having trouble getting a hold of this guy. Do you know what's going on? Do you, you know, or like I'm going through the list once a, you know, once a week for each page and trying to touch base with people and pray for them and make sure they're doing okay. Um, and when I've had people comment on that to me, it means the world, right? All of us are to minister to each other. All of us are to be ready to speak the word and tell the truth when the time comes. All of us are representatives of Christ when you go out in the community. I used to work for uh, Pinkerton security guards for like two weeks. I made it through training and I, and I moved away with my wife. Um, but I was told when you get off work, you walk out the door without your uniform on. We don't care what you're wearing. You do not drive home in that uniform. You know why? Because if you get into a car accident and it's your fault, you're wearing our uniform. You walk into the grocery store and get into a fight with a clerk, what are you wearing? Our uniform. So don't wear it anywhere because we don't trust any of you. The body of Christ is the opposite. Wear your uniform everywhere. Love your neighbor. Be Christ to the folks who you encounter because Christ died for you to become something different than you were yesterday. Does that mean that we all do everything? Absolutely not. Um, I, I enjoyed wrestling yesterday. Titus told me I had to include this in the sermon, so this is his part. I got to watch little boys of this church wrestle. Some of them just fell flat on their faces, and it was amazing. Um, my son won his first match, and it was awesome. Um, and I watched as Callan sat on the sides and pulled the kids over and talked to them and told them stuff. You know, perhaps Callan's job sometimes is to collect towels, but if I'm there and Callan's there, you know whose job it is to collect towels? Mine. You know what I know about wrestling? I, I know the figure four leg lock. I can, I can body slam. Leg drop. I know the full Nelson, yeah. (laughs) Because Callan is better equipped for certain roles, Callan does those roles. My job is to support him when he's in that role, right? My job is to support you all as you go out 
and be God's soldiers. And so the disciples say, listen, we got a specific job. We're doing everything. I think is the case. This is my argument. They are doing everything. But ministry, like to the word, teaching and prayer is something that's unique to us. Um, Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever, oh, I'm going to skip over that. That was my original plan, and I'm skipping over it. Sorry. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So here is a very first and last time it ever happened. We have a church fight. A decision is made by the board, and everybody's okay with it and happy. The very last time it ever happened. But here's the decision they made. And they chose Stephen. Everybody knows what happens to Stephen, right? Um, Stephen is the first martyr because he was preaching and teaching. He didn't get martyred for waiting tables. Although I've been to restaurants on Sunday mornings after church where waiters and waitresses are practically killed. Um, Remember, you're wearing your uniform when you walk out the door. Um, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, who, by the way, turns up later, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramus, and Nicholas, and a proselyte proselyte of Antioch. Um, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. So they were commissioned and sent out. There's a really cool thing about all of these names. Did anybody catch what it was? I mispronounced them. They're all Greek. There is not a single Hebrew name in that list. Because what the disciples said was, yeah, it is a problem that the Hellenized, the Greek widows are not getting fed. So we are going to select Greek folks to go do it. Right? Now, this is an important thing. In churches, it is very often the case that we encounter a problem and we turn around and we say, all right, who's going to fix it? Guess what? You're going to fix it. Unless it's like a busted pressure tank in the, in the heating system and then Jeremy's going to fix it. Right? But the reality is that a lot of times the problems that we encounter are things that any one of us can do, but we turn around and we say, who else is going to do this, right? Sometimes I would argue that God shows us a problem because it's your job. Um, I love that I'm in the Lord's army thing. And the reason I love it is because I love the idea that regardless of the job I do, I'm doing what God sent me to do. Titus, knock it off. Although the lighting effects are cool. They're distracting. Um, And this is the case, guys. Every one of you has a job to do. Every one of you has a purpose. Every one of you has a function. If you leave one of you out, we are not complete. If we leave one of you out and you encounter the neighbor down the road who doesn't talk to anybody but you for some reason, and they don't encounter Christ, Something has been missed. We all have a job, and our job is to prepare each other to do the jobs and do our own jobs. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, there's a last line in there, by the way, that is slipped in. 
a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That means that within the temple, there are priests who are converting, right? This is kind of the turning point in the book of Acts. After this, persecution is going to become a different animal, right? Because all of a sudden, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are seeing their own number leave. Um, And that's a huge deal. And we'll probably talk about it in future weeks a little more. Um, But in the immediate, this means, now watch this. Um, What do we do with this? How do we apply this idea? The way we apply it is, um, this is me standing up and telling you that you're going to stand at the doors of heaven. And what is said to you when you are standing there before the Lord, right? It's going to matter. It is. I want to stand at the doors of heaven. You know, for me, for years, that was my, I got up in the morning and that's all I wanted. You smell like smoke, right? Every one of you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or you won't. Oh, so I need to work my way to heaven? Nope. You, blood of Christ covering you, faith in Jesus, that's what saves you. But we all have work to do. And we all have work to do that is training and growing and training the people around us and sharing the gospel with the folks we encounter and raising up and training our kids and everything else that we have to do. We all have a job to do. You might say, well, but mine isn't glorious or noticeable. I want to be in this role because I want to be noticeable. Um, This isn't what God calls us to do. I would rather be noticed by God and ignored by everyone. Um, During World War II, uh, when England was struggling to produce its coal production, Winston Churchill called together like the labor leaders um, and and did this pep talk trying to get them to dig in and push production harder. And he stood before these labor leaders and in his pitch to increase coal production and dig in, he talked about the great parade that would happen at the end of the war, right? Right. And he said, listen, there will be this day when we are victorious and our boys will come home and they will march in this parade before the nation. And the first ones who will come will be the soldiers who, like, like escape from Dunkirk, right? Because they were the first ones to see battle in World War II. Um, and then it will be um, the guys who went off and defeated Rommel, like our, our, um, our tank guys will come and they'll walk and they'll be cheered on by everyone. And then the pilots, um, who fought the Luftwaffe and won the battle of Britain. And then last of all, there'll be a long line of sweat stained, soot streaked men in miners caps. Someone like, and it, this is his quote, right? Someone would cry for the, from the crowd. And where were you during the critical days of our struggle? And from tens of thousands of throats would come the answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces in the coal. You can't win a war without coal. can't win a war without steel. can't win a war without uniforms, without rifles, without everything. Like, the fact of the matter is, you know, the, the, the guys who go out and fight combat are supported. We are going to stand with the Lord's army one day and folks may stand up and say, well, what did you do? I prayed. I visited old people. I called people. No one was calling. I taught Sunday school. Oh, it's just Sunday school. You're right. 
It's a big deal. I vacuumed the floors. Believe it or not, people look at the church as clean when they walk in the door. Vacuuming the floors is a ministry that matters. I met weekly with a young man and talked to him about Jesus and helped him grow in his faith. I took youth group kids out for dinner. I showed up and sat with kids and ate dinner with them and talked to them about their lives on Wednesdays. I'm guessing, Jeremy, you came to the Lord through the ministry here, right? Folks come and eat lunch with you or dinner with you here? Did you meet people? Did you encounter Christ from the folks that you and... And now Jeremy does ministry because every ounce of work that goes in matters. Every ounce. What will you hear when you stand before God? I don't have the illusion that this is going to be a life-changing sermon. Um, but I'm telling you, folks, we got work to do. Some of us will stand before God with sweat stained and covered in rich Montana soil. And when asked what we did, I ministered to the farm community. I showed Jesus to farmers who wouldn't talk to a highfalutin minister. I love people like Jesus, and I did it every day. I discipled young men. I did it every day. Guys, the days are evil. The time is short. We've got to do this. We've got work to do. There is no question. There's no discussion. The fields are ripe for harvest. We need workers. Jeremy needs volunteers. Stephanie needs volunteers. Nursery needs volunteers. I need people to do discipling. I need people to, to serve and grow the body here. What are you going to do? Where are you going to be in the parade? Crowd or marching? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that... I, I don't know what everybody's calling from you is, Lord. I don't know what everybody's um, individual push is from you. I don't know whose, whose hearts are where. I don't know how you're speaking to them or, or, um, or what, Lord. I, I don't know. Only you know. Only your spirit knows. And I know your spirit blows where, you know, it's like the wind blowing where it wills. But, but, Lord God, I pray that your spirit would have moved in people's hearts today. And I pray that folks who felt challenged um, would look for opportunities and look for ways um, to minister to folks. If if they look at their own lives and say, man, I am not in that place, I pray that they would look for folks to, to keep them accountable or help them grow. Um, if they look and say, well, I got plenty of knowledge, but, but I got nothing to do with it, I pray that you'd put folks in their path that they can disciple and help to mature in the faith. I pray for, I pray for this body. I pray for this body to be, you know, the Lord's army in this community. Um, Infantry, cavalry, um, flying over the enemy and everything, Lord. I pray that this, this body would be support troops and coal miners and everything else you need them to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday.